You are listening to the American Truth Project Podcast. Hey now, this is Cowboy Jeff at Cowboy Jeff Sucks on Twitter. If you're not listening to the disgruntled millennial podcast, then you're probably wearing a fucking burqa. Hi, I'm here to sign up for ISIS. You have come up to the wrong booth, boy. We are recruiting for CARE, an Islamic peace group. What does this look like to you? Some sort of gay pride parade? I understand your oppression. I'm an ally. Boy, get out of here before I decapitate you on camera. Peacefully, of course. This is a Muslim-only safe space. I am a Muslim. I converted yesterday. I'm a genderqueer Muslim, okay? I would do anything. And I mean anything. You would do anything now, would you? Okay, right this way. Oh, goody. Ahmed, we have a live one. Get the device. Ooh, I like devices. <laughs> okay, now take off your shirt for a moment. Ooh, my God. All right, <laughs> strap it on like this. Strap uh-huh. Ooh. <laughs> Yes. Ooh, like this. Tickles. <laughs> Ahmed, activate the device. Ooh, is this a vibrating device? Okay, my gay friend. You see that elementary school over there? Yes, of course. There's kids playing and dancing and laughing and frolicking with joy. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, yes. Now go over there. Walk into the middle of the school. Throw your arms out into the air like you just made sweet love to Aisha and scream, Allahu Akbar! Wait a minute, that seems a little strange. Now, you did say you would do anything to help liberate the oppressed Muslim race, right? Well... Yeah. Well, this is what needs to be done. It's totally safe. Go for it. Well, okay. Allahu Akbar, kids! (laughs) Idiots. Step aside, you commie-loving baby boomer hippies. It's a new day, and we're no longer going to take it sitting down. You're listening to the Disgruntled Millennial. Greetings and salutations. You are again tuning into the Disgruntled Millennial, where I broadcast to you not live from my safe space down here in Northern Florida, where I'm always free from your bigotry, racism, hatred, microaggressions, and patriarchy. I am Brett Siegel, as always. Uh, many of us have been caught up in the whirlwind of the, electri- of the election of Donald Trump, and by most metrics, it was nothing short of a miracle. We dodged a massive bullet by not electing Hillary Clinton. Her election would have marked the beginning of the end of America and uh, also the Western civilization as we know it. Uh, she would have continued Obama's uh, policy of destabilizing the world, including the Middle East. Uh, as far as Donald Trump goes, the nomination of Neil Gorsuch, the shift in rhetoric from Obama's anti-American diatribes and apology tours, all, all the way to Trump's America first attitude, and by the way he utters the word radical Islamic terrorism on a regular basis, that alone to me is worth the price of admission, and I'm anxious to see what next. But uh, there is one promise that Trump has made that looks like it's be- that looks like it's negotiable, and not much attention has been paid to it by members of the left and the right, and it- it's an important promise that all of us ought to expect him to keep. That is, he promised to establish an embassy in Israel's capital, Jerusalem. Trump seems to be walking it back. Uh, An embassy in Jerusalem 
would put an end to our long-standing policy of appeasement towards the terrorist Palestinian groups who occupy Israel's capital. Without unfettered support from the United States, Israel will remain divided. Today, we have Barry Nussbaum on the show with us. He is the founder of the American Truth Project. His mission is to educate the public on the truths regarding critical security risks facing America, as well as our most strategic ally, which is Israel. He's a renowned commentator on foreign policy, particularly on U.S.-Israel relations, and I just wanted to welcome you to the show, Barry. Great to be with you today. Thanks so much for taking the time. Let's, let's talk a little bit about... Let's go over a brief history of the modern-day Jerusalem. As it is now, Israel officially controls Jerusalem, but many failed land-for-peace efforts have sort of shifted the balance of power in that region, and now what we have is utterly precarious. Can you help us understand the current state of affairs in Jerusalem so we can get a grasp on why Trump's promise to create an embassy in Jerusalem is so important? Yeah, I'd be happy to, Brett. You got to look at the big picture historically. Uh, the Jewish people have had Jerusalem as their capital for just about 3,000 years. Uh, by the time Jesus was there 2,000 years ago, uh, Jews had already been in Jerusalem and it was the capital of the world for them for over a thousand years. Um, Jews have lived there continuously, except for one minor historical hiccup, which was the period between 1948 and 1967. That was the time between the War of Independence and the 67 Six-Day War. During that period, Jordan invaded Jerusalem with uh, very, very heavy troops and outnumbered the Jewish defenders uh, by some astronomical number. And by the time the armistice was declared, had occupied the area which is called Eastern Jerusalem. So for the first time in almost three millennia, Jews were evicted from their own capital city. So between 1948 and 1967, Jews were not allowed to live and pray in the holiest place in the world for them, which is Jerusalem, in the old city where the temple remains um, atop of uh, Mount Moriah. Right. That's where the Western Wall is. So for that period of time, there were no Jews in eastern Jerusalem. What happened was a bizarre, almost unmarketable agenda emerged from the Arab world, which is western Jerusalem is for Jews and eastern Jerusalem is Arabic East Jerusalem. It's a complete fiction. Right. In 1967, when Israel conquered East Jerusalem again and liberated it, and it was a liberation, um, with the exception of 48 to 67, the Jewish capital was reunited. Now, since 1967, this bizarre, almost unsellable uh, marketing ploy has been accepted by the whole world, right. which is East Jerusalem is for Arabs and West Jerusalem is for Jews. And it's, it's made up. It doesn't exist. Keep in mind, Brett, when the Arabs from Jordan occupied East Jerusalem, Jews weren't allowed to pray. Right. Christians weren't allowed to pray, only Arabs. All of the synagogues were destroyed. The Jewish cemeteries were destroyed. The Jewish tie to Jerusalem, all the artifacts were plundered. And Jews have spent the time for the last 50 years rebuilding it. 
often having to recreate it because of the destruction the Arabs placed. So it was a very, very, very big deal when the Congress some 20-something years ago passed legislation that mandated that the American embassy be relocated from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Unfortunately, the law had a series of six-month extensions that American presidents, for the purpose of national security, could decide not to move the embassy. And every president since Clinton has effectuated that delay, including, and I'm very sad to say this, Donald Trump several weeks ago signed that extension. So there are now there's now a, a delay for the movement for at least five and a half more months. Right. And it, it seems like time is running out. You know, as the propaganda war against Israel with the BDS movement and all this business about two-state solution and how uh, Israel is an occupying state, with all this propaganda going, uh, just be, Israel being barraged with the propaganda, it seems like we're, we're just sort of digging ourselves deeper and deeper into this hole that's going to be a lot more difficult to get us out of when really it should have happened uh, decades ago. Yeah, there's no question about it. And quite simply, and I, I can't believe this happened, especially given Donald Trump's very strong promises to the contrary while he was on the campaign trail, Brett. He promised to move the embassy to Jerusalem as one of his first days in office. Right. And he got talked out of it by the State Department, the Arab-leaning State Department, which is composed of permanent employees who president to president don't go anywhere and have been accused, and I think it's probably true, of having a very strong Arabist bent because of relationship with Saudi Arabia and the other oil-producing giants of the Middle East. They don't want to offend anybody. And the truth is, in the rest of Israel, and take it from someone who's been there a number of times, in all of the areas controlled by Jewish Israelis, Arabs, Christians, and Jews have equal rights to attend and um, visit all of the religious sites without any restrictions whatsoever. So to, to say that East Jerusalem, which has a higher population of Arabs than West Jerusalem because of the period of 50 years as I described it, uh, would be somehow prejudiced is insanity. It's complete goofiness. And yet Trump capitulated. Well, uh, you know, throughout the process of the, throughout the peace process or alleged peace process, as I like to call it, for me, for me, ever since the Oslo Accords, it's been nothing but, a, it's been nothing but a, appeasement coming from America and from all the different countries around, uh, surrounding Israel, from uh, the, uh, the UN to, to all the different countries surrounding Israel, where you won't find any Jews there at all. Israel gets pegged as this uh, um, apartheid state where settlements are are seen as as this occupying force. Where in actuality, Israel actually had had claimed that land back in the '67 war. Why is American support so important for Israel in this case? Because you know, if you think about it, Israel could just go in there and probably take Jerusalem Jerusalem if they wanted to. But they need support from the United States and other, you know, big superpowers. Why is it, do you think, that American presidents have found it so difficult and so... Uh, why do you think they have, uh, they have not gone forward with this? Especially someone like Donald Trump, who went down to Israel, who went over to Israel and, you know, shook hands with the prime minister, made a promise to the guy. You would really think that this would be, you know, I, I was really hoping for some change. 
But apparently it's just more than the same. Did, did Donald Trump overestimate his negotiating skills? Because a lot of folks go in there thinking, oh, you know, it's the Middle East. I've, I'm sure, you know, there, there's got to be an easy solution for this. They go in there and then they, they succumb to the same exact uh, pressures that the previous presidents had succumbed to. And now we're kind of dealing with the same thing. And it makes Trump kind of look bad, if you ask me. Yeah, you know, that's the smartest question I've been asked in quite some time. So well done. Unfortunately, the the answer, Brett, is not as easy uh, to puke out as the question is. Um, <laughs> presidents have succumbed over and over again. Bush made it a really strong promise and bailed on it. And so did President Clinton. Uh, Obama, forget it. I, I never had any hopes for him. Right. But in terms of being able to rely on the word of an incoming president, I truly believed, as you did, that Trump would honor his word. The problem is that presidents in the White House get sold on this narrative that's complete fiction, that if you give in to the Palestinian demands, they will come and make peace. And yet, every time, and and go back before 67, they've been offered their own state every single time they've declined it because they don't want a two-state solution. They want a one-state solution. And the, mo- and the model that they go by, and there's an Arabic saying, um, which I don't speak Arabic, but I know the translation, our homeland from the river to the sea. And right. what that means is from the Jordan River all the way to the Mediterranean Sea. That's the Palestinian homeland. That's where it shows on their flags. That's where it's taught in schools. That's what their diplomats talk about. And every speech, Abu Mazen the prime minister and president of the Palestinian Authority, when he makes his speeches in Arabic, of course, that's what he refers to. And somehow, and I don't know the inside story, although I'm on my way to finding out from some contacts we have, why Trump got talked into that same BS narrative, which is just not true. As if, if they move the embassy to Jerusalem, and by the way, Brett, they have the land picked out, it would go into West Jerusalem, which has always been Jewish, mm-hmm. even between 67 and 1948. So it wouldn't disrupt any Arabs. Even if the thing was moved, there would be no chance of peace because the Arabs can't make peace. Because the, the right. narrative within the Arab community is, we will liberate Palestine. Right. Yeah, well, to me, that lays waste to the idea that Israeli settlements are somehow an impediment to peace. You know, the the rhetoric is such that they don't want any Jews there at all, period. They don't want any Jews there at all. I mean, it's obvious from the way that they don't allow Jews into their own countries. There's barely any Jews in the Middle East besides in Israel proper. But, you know, it, it, it sort of lays waste to this idea that they're even interested in peace at all. Now, why do you think it's so difficult for our leaders to sort of understand and to and to uh, to d- make a distinction between the two sides? Because Israel has shown time and time again that it is willing to give up just a little bit more of the land. They're inching towards the Mediterranean, and unfortunately, we don't see any we don't see any reciprocal ad- uh, actions from the Palestinians other than to keep on lobbing bombs over over the wall and to keep on building tunnels and to, you know to dig under the under underneath Israel so that they can kill mur- kill and murder Jews in their kibbutzes and run them down on the street and mow them down and stab them with knives. Things just keep on getting worse. Why is it that we can't make a distinction between these two sides? Why do they have to be equally moral in in order for us to sort of wrap our heads around the the Middle East conflict? 
Oh man, you you've got two big ones in a row now. So you get an A plus on questioning. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> These are the questions that don't make any sense to rational people in the West. I I had a very very long meeting with the Prime Minister um, some years ago, and this was uh, when Bibi was uh, out of the office uh, during that period, and we talked about Gaza for some length, and he said, you know. The plan to give the land back to the Palestinians, according to the world, will create instant peace. Because if there's not a Jew in Gaza and all the settlements are dismantled, then this will be the test case. Mm -hmm. Now, what was supposed to happen based on the plan as negotiated between uh, then Prime Minister Ariel Sharon and the Palestinian Authority was when the Jews pulled out. And they dismantled their factories and they took down all of their facilities that they built and they dug up the cemeteries and they bulldozed the synagogues. It was a very serious amount of work to do it, that peace would reign in the South. So what happened? Within a very short period of time, there was an election promoted by the United States, which was catastrophic for both Israel and the Palestinians because a terror group took over in an election. There will never be another election in Gaza because they don't think that way. They will hold on to power until they're dead. And when I mean dead, I mean all the leadership. So what happened? They got the land they wanted. They negotiated the boundaries they asked for. They got everything they requested. And then they launched a war, which still goes on to this day. And it doesn't make much news, Brett, but they're still launching missiles over the border. They're still digging tunnels under the border. It has never gone away. And international outcry is actually growing, probably because of Trump and Trump making a big deal about it, that a vast majority of the money that's paid into Gaza for relief is being diverted to build cement-lined tunnels, Katusha rockets, and the longer-range rockets that can reach all the way to the outskirts of Tel Aviv. So the worst thing Israel could have done would right. give them Gaza. Right. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if there was a true land swap on the West Bank? And if you've been there, Israel is so narrow you can dr- you can literally fly across Israel uh, from the Green Line to the Mediterranean Sea in about a minute, minute and a half. It's that close, and all of Israel would be within rocket fire of more maniacs similar to the ones in Gaza. Right, yet Israel gets pinned as the apartheid state, is the brunt of the BDS movement, is the brunt of all these uh, uh, terrible UN resolutions that paint Israel as this awful Zionist terrorist state. You know, even on Google, you know, like uh, Wikipedia, history is being rewritten before our very eyes. You're seeing that you're seeing the uh, you know the, the the problem. You know, when you when you go and you do some research on what is the problem in the Middle East conflict, it's Palestinian political violence versus Zionist political violence. When in actuality, the Zionist political violence that people speak of is de- is mostly defensive in nature, and the and the Palestinian political violence that's terrorism. That's what you and I come to think of as terrorism. 
And just the moral equivalency is really what needs to shift. There really needs to be a paradigm shift. And, you know, I was really, really hopeful that Donald Trump would go in there. You know, he he speaks with a lot of moral clarity in a lot of his speeches, especially since he started saying the words radical Islamic terrorism. It was extremely refreshing to hear a president say that when uh, when the entire Obama administration would, you know, ISIS needs jobs. Give me a break. ISIS doesn't need jobs. They need to be obliterated, if you ask me. But the, the, the shift, the, the shift in moral clarity is, I think, what really needs to take place. And this is just one of those things where you could, he had a really great opportunity to sort of put his money where his mouth is. Do you, do you think that this might be a part of some larger, larger scheme, perhaps something that might be, might, he might be better apt or more able to do in five months? Well, I'll tell you, there's some news out this morning that I hope has as much impact on uh, Trump as it did on me when I wrote my article about it this morning. You may remember when um, the president of the Palestinian Authority was in the White House, uh, a story leaked out that Trump was screaming at um, Mahmoud Abbas about paying money from the Palestinian Authority budget to dead terrorist surviving families. In other words, Mm -hmm. if you're a suicide bomber and you come out of, say, Bethlehem and blow up a bus in Jerusalem and you die a martyr, for your family, they will be supported forever, literally forever. A stipend that's almost as much as if you're a full-time government employee of the Palestinian Authority. Um, In addition, if you stab, say, uh, a policeman in Jerusalem, and you're caught but not killed, and you go to prison, you draw a salary for the rest of your life in prison as a paid terrorist. It's it's the largest significant portion of the Palestinian Authority budget that goes to perpetuate and support both terrorists that live and their survivors for the ones that die. Trump yelled loudly, apparently it was heard by a number of people, at uh, the president, Uh, Abbas, Mm -hmm. screaming at him, stop the payments to terrorists. Now, fast forward to the last couple days, Secretary of State Tillerson announced very proudly that the president had been successful and the Palestinian Authority would no longer pay a stipend to either terrorists who are alive or their families who were dead. And guess what? Mm. This morning, the Palestinian Authority, in an interview with the Jerusalem Post, said Secretary of State Tillerson is wrong. We will continue to pay terrorists who are in Israeli prisons for attacking and killing Israelis, and we will continue to pay the families of those terrorists, or they call them shahids, martyrs, that die. Tillerson was very Mm. bad embarrassed this morning, and I bet you when this reaches Trump, he's going to be extremely unhappy. And maybe what happened today, Brett, finally will be the motivation for Trump to say, you know what, I don't like getting lied to, and now my Secretary of State has been publicly embarrassed in front of the world, which reflects badly on my administration. To hell with it. I'm moving the embassy. Right. Well, you know, Islam is a religion of peace. So, you know, peace and love and honesty. So, you know, you you would think that that kind of stuff would happen. I find it pretty offensive that, you know, that... Palestinian terrorists are treated better than our own veterans in many cases. And I think it's one of those things that you know, it, it's the, the, the idea that we are in any way funding this, that we are in any way sort of uh, allowing it, appeasing it, 
one dollar, one cent is too much, if you ask me. One doesn't cent make, is too much. Doesn't it make you angry that what you just said is abundantly true and provable? Yeah. We, the United States of America, you and I, with our tax dollars and all of your listeners, are sending hundreds of millions of dollars to the Palestinian Authority to support the poor people there. And what do they do? They have signs all over the Middle East. These are signs in public squares where they name a square after you if you blow yourself up or you stab a policeman or you shoot little girls in their beds inside Israel. You get a square. Your family gets a house. And for the rest of their lives, they're supported with American tax dollars. It's offensive to the nth degree. And yet, you don't see it in the mainstream media, do you? No. But it's the truth. No, not at all. It's utterly obscene. It's disgusting. And, and of course, you know, the, the idea that Israel, that Israeli settlements are impediments to peace when you have these people butchering little girls and, and innocent people. You know, they say that, it, that Israel would, 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 that if, if the Palestinians laid down their bombs, there would be peace. If Israel laid down their bombs, there would be no Israel. Um, you know, I, I, this is just goes to show the, the, the disparity between the, the morality of, of both sides. I mean, w- w- each side is provably on a particular moral plane, and that is the sort of paradigm that needs to shift. And I do believe Trump should go out there and he should, you know, with, with, in his Trumpian sort of way, declare this moral disparity between the two sides and say, no, this is a one-state solution kind of a deal. You know, we've been on the defensive for so long and on so many issues. You know, I, you see, what I would love to see him do is go out there and just make a few strong points like there is no prehistoric there is no historic palestine to to conflate the arab claims with historic uh arab claims with the historic claims is negligent and it's an it's an oversimplification but that's neither here nor there israel was legally founded israel is not an apartheid state it's not an occupying state there's a plurality of races and religions and and israel only accounting for two percent of the middle east Leave it alone. You know, the surrounding, Arab, the surrounding Arab countries riddled with the same anti-Semitism that led to the Holocaust. They've tried to wipe Israel off the map since 1948. Okay, too many American presidents have ignored this. What President Trump should go out there and say, he says, there is a, there is a difference in morality. Okay, Israel is a powerhouse of democracy. It's a powerhouse of equality, uh, innovation. There's just so much amazing stuff goes on. And in no simpler terms, Islamic countries want to destroy Israel because they're greedy and they're jealous. Well, there's, there's a couple of things. And maybe you and I can come up with the proposal for the White House in this show today, Brett. Um, Trump made two demands uh, in their meetings, both in um, Israel and the West Bank when he went and at the White House of President Abbas. He said, number one, no more payments to terrorists, either alive or dead, and stop incitement in the Palestinian communities. And what I mean by that, uh, the second part is it's common knowledge, and you can go online and read this every day. The textbooks in every single Palestinian school, starting in preschool, teach killing Jews, and that the most noble purpose of a Palestinian child is to grow up and be a killer of Jews. Trump looked at Abbas and said, stop the incitement. There will never be peace as long as this is what you're teaching your, your children. Abbas looked him in the eye and at the press conference said the same thing. We only teach peace to our people. We are raising a generation of peace. Trump 
was very angry about it because literally in the press conference inside the White House, the president of the Palestinian Authority lied to the president of the United States and the American people. He has the perfect premise now, Brad, to say, look, you promised to stop the incitement. You haven't changed a textbook. You haven't pulled one of those shows off the air. The billboards are still up and you're still naming squares after murderers. Number two, you embarrassed my secretary of state when he made an announcement to the world that you had agreed to stop paying terrorists and your own spokesman came out and called my secretary of state a liar. Okay, I'm done with you. I gave right. you a chance. You didn't, you didn't keep your word. I'm moving my embassy to where it belongs, which is the 3,000-year capital of the Jewish people. Keep in mind, Israel is the only country in the entire world that doesn't have embassies of visiting countries in its capital. Because these people who are making these Department of State around the world decisions have been snowed by a narrative that's fictitious, right. including the United States of America. Right. Yeah, I think Trump should just say, we're going to put our embassy in Jer Jerusalem, whether you like it or not. If you have a problem with that, well, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll deal with that. But, you know, it's just one of those things. He needs to take a stand. He needs to, to, to show us those, those swinging things that he's got, that he's told us that he's got. He's, he's got to let him swing. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, I get you. And, and, and you know what? I think it would change the narrative. Look, something else profound happened last week in the Middle East that was way overdue, which is all the Sunni states came out and boycotted and cut off economic ties with Qatar, mm -hmm. a very, very oil-rich and gas-rich, very tiny kingdom on the Persian Gulf. Why did they do it? Because Qatar is the second leading sponsor of terrorism in the Middle East. They're the leading supporter of Hamas. They send tremendous amounts of money to Hezbollah. They love Iran. The president of Iran has been to Qatar for numerous conferences. And this took place just two weeks after Trump left the Middle East because he's making changes. He has got to keep in front as a leader. And if he backs down too much, they're going to eventually look at him as the Middle East looked at Obama. Either you're powerful and you're a leader or you're not. And if you're not, they'll just ignore you like they ignored Obama for eight years. I'm afraid if Trump doesn't step to the forefront on this embassy issue, we may have a repeat of what happened with Obama, which is disengagement from the Middle East and they'll just do whatever they want. And that would be really sad given the opportunity we're now confronted with. Yeah, and not only that, there was some. There was such a widespread support for Trump in Israel. I mean, obviously he's our president, not their president. But there was a huge groundswell of support for Donald Trump in Israel, and a lot of folks that I know really, really pinned a lot of their a lot of their hopes on on a sort of a new sheriff in town, a new guy coming to sort of shift the paradigm, to shift the debate, to 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 sort of uphold Israel as the moral state that it is, the rightful state, a legal state, not an occupying state. State, not one that, you know, a, a state that, you know, so, a state where you can build settlements on your own state. You know, it's not a settlement if you're building on, on your own property. You're not talking, you're not taking someone else's property. It's your property. Okay. Well, but don't forget, that was the West Bank, the area you're talking about, was supposed to be part of Israel. Mm -hmm. And when the Arab armies attacked in 1948, that attack from that side came from Jordan. So from 1948 to 1967, Jordan 
kept the land that they conquered and never gave it back. And in 1967, when Israel liberated it from the Jordanians, instantaneously, guess what arose out of the ethers? The Palestinians. There's no such person. They're Arabs, and most of them are Jordanian Arabs who still lived there and didn't leave after Jordan left, or in 67, was pushed out. So this, this idea that there's a Palestinian state is wrong. If anything, and this is the truth going back in history, Jordan, by racial definition, is the Palestinian state, mm-hmm. because that's where the people that are by lineage uh, of that race come from. They're right. Arabs, but it's a certain select group of Arabs. Right. So there is, it's not like Israel invaded another country and took away their land. Jordan invaded the land that was promised to Israel and never gave it back, the same as eastern Jerusalem. There have been, I don't know, 50 articles in the New York Times in the last couple of years, and they call Jerusalem, if it's on the east side of the city, traditional Arab Jerusalem. (laughs) That's a made-up term. It's always been Jewish. Right. Yeah, and of course course they say that that there's this Zionist genocide going on. They're 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 killing the Palestinians. Listen, the Palestinian ex- uh, population has exploded since 1967. If this is if if there, there's a, some sort of genocide going on by the Zionists, this is the worst possible genocide that has ever taken place. Okay, in what in what genocide w- that's run worth a damn? You know, that's worth a damn. Would the population of the people that they were trying to kill explode? Not just that. Not just that. Jordan isn't taking Palestinian refugees, yet the yet the refugee crisis, the Palestinian refugee crisis, the problem is pinned on the Jews. It's pinned on Israel. When, in fact, you know, I mean, if you really want to talk about going back to your homeland and, you know, the right of return, why don't we talk to Jordan about or, or Egypt about letting some of those Palestinians back in? Uh, I think it's a wonderful question, and the reality is they would much rather keep these poor people and... Their, their children and their children's children and their children's children's children in refugee camps. They're on their fifth generation now of people that literally live in these camps supported by generous donations from around the world because mm-hmm. they can be made useful as a pawn instead of settling them. Look, when Israel was founded in 1948, Jews were kicked out of every country in the Middle East where they had been for 2,000 years. Mm-hmm. And there was a mass exodus. They had a day or two to leave. They could carry whatever they could carry in a suitcase. Most of the time, they left all their money and all their property. And Israel, which had no money, took them in. They were kicked out of every single country in the Middle East. You would think there would have been a reciprocal return, sort of, where the Arabs would take in the Arabs, but it didn't happen. You know, when they do these surveys in Jerusalem, for example, Brett, and they ask Jews, sorry, Arabs in, in Jerusalem, if this became part of a Palestinian state, would you give up your Israeli citizenship voluntarily and become a citizen of the state of Palestine? And an overwhelming majority, guess what? Say no. Right. Because yeah. they understand they get to vote yeah. in Israel. They have members in the Knesset, the parliament. They can be a doctor or a lawyer or a politician or a cop and serve in the army. They have full equal rights under the law that they wouldn't have in a Palestinian state, which are not democracies, 
all of the areas ruled by the Palestinians are brutal military religious dictatorships. Look, for, was it, 13 years ago, the presidential elections in the Palestinian Authority elected Abbas as their president for a four-year term. 13 years ago, <laughs> still in office. He refuses to leave. He refuses to have elections. He calls them, and then he cancels them. Why? Because the first time he had an election in Gaza, Hamas won. The PA lost. There was there was brutal mass killings of everyone that supported the Palestinian Authority. They threw everybody off buildings. They machine gunned them, or they just kicked them out. That's what'll happen in the West Bank too. It's not a democracy. There's not freedom. There's not equality. It's a brutal military pseudo religious dictatorship. By the way, just like every other country in the Middle East, there are no elections in any country there because that's not their culture. Right. Yeah, and it just goes back to the uh, the alleged di- dichotomy between the th- between the two sides, the Arab side and the Jewish side. You, you know, one side values democracy. One of the sides values freedom. The other side doesn't value freedom. This is a, 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 a we need to have the moral clarity and we need to have the the testicular intensity to go up there and say loud and proud that one side is the good, uh, the good side, and one side is the bad guy, bad side. If you support the bad side, you support the bad guys. You support evil. Now, uh, just like you said, the folks who are the folks who are uh, the Arabs who are in Israel, would they give up their Israeli citizenship? No. Why would they? It's the same thing with the environmentalists over here. They talk a big game about getting rid of fossil fuels, but are they going to give up their? Are are they going to really going to give up all fossil fuels? No, because that would mean giving up the little pieces of plastic that, you know, and the little pieces of plastic on their bicycle that they think is helping the environment, you know? It would be it, it, would, it would be an utter disaster and if you had to put your money where your mouth is, you wouldn't you, you really wouldn't do it because life would get worse for you. And that's the same thing. That's the same thing with the Arabs in Israel. Now, um, I, I want to talk a little bit more about a, a, a broader subject, which I think is a really, a, which I think is really important. It's a little bit difficult to ignore. Is the Islamization of the West, and I think a lot of what's going on in Israel is because of this widespread uh, effort for American leftists and Western leftists and rhinos, uh, you know, to to basically kind of fundamentally transform the West into something that is a lot more totalitarian and authoritarian. And this is one of the reasons why I think leftism and Islam sort of go hand in hand, because they really love big government control. They love control. Now, do you see this as a major problem in the West, or or, or are conservatives just, um, you know, fear-mongering hypochondriacs, you know, the Islamization of the West? I, I, I would answer your question going all the way back to Jefferson's writings. Um, Thomas Jefferson kept a Quran in his office. Uh, he was very well aware of what the book was and what the religion was, a combination of religious belief and societal dictates. And he said very clearly in his writings, Brett, this goes back to the 18th century, that Islam and the Muslims that follow the book will never be able to be integrated into American society. Thanks for listening to the American Truth Project, a 501c3 nonprofit. Please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on our social media channels to stay plugged in to the truth. Go to americantruthproject.org 
and subscribe to our newsletter to stay informed on the latest news.